Hey, what's going on, everybody? What's going on? I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and today we're going to talk about a rapper by the name of Gangsta Boo. Gangsta Boo is the latest hip-hop artist to go down. Unfortunately, she died at the age of 43. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Gangsta Boo um, and give credit and tribute to her talent in her life, but also talk about the, the, the elephant in the room. Uh, there's conversations about drugs possibly being involved. I'm not going to really speculate on that. But 3-6 Mafia uh, has talked openly about how drugs affected their ability to make money. So we're going to have an economic conversation tonight about the high cost of drugs in hip-hop and marketing drugs in hip-hop uh, can uh, invoke on the Black community and how this can destroy trillions of dollars in Black wealth. So get comfortable, buckle up your seatbelt. We're going to get started on DrBoyceTV.com right now. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Hey, what's going on, everybody? What's happening? I hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I want to say uh, hello to everybody and happy new year and everything else. And uh, I want to say what's up. How many of you have heard of a group called Three Six Mafia? Uh, give a shout out if you know about Three Six Mafia, if you know how talented they are, uh, if you have uh, listened to any of their music at any point in your life and you know anything about uh, about them. If you're a hip hop fan, you probably heard of Three Six Mafia. Maybe you listened to it, maybe not. Uh, also, give me a yes in the chat if you heard about the most recent tragic passing of a rapper by the name of Gangsta Boo. Uh, Gangsta Boo just died. Uh, her real name was Lola, actually. I actually looked up her name. We should we start looking up people's names instead of just calling them by their stage name. I, I just think that that's a sign of respect. And, uh, and uh, her name is actually Lola Ch Chantrell Mitchell. Lola Chantrell Mitchell. So uh, she actually died on uh, New Year's Day, actually, uh, January 1st, 2023. And uh, she went by the name of Gangsta Boo. And uh, give me a yes in the chat if you follow any of this. Give me a yes if you know what happened here. Uh, also, uh, give me a yes in the chat if you uh, believe in uh, black education, black intelligence, black power, and uh, black wealth. If you believe in those things, also put a yes or B1 in the chat. B1 means we're black first. Uh, that means that our goal is not just to create media uh, that draws people in and gets your attention. I'm not. Uh, that's not really the issue. The issue is, can we actually learn together? Can we actually grow together? Can we evolve together? And so uh, before I actually jump into this, I want to actually also give thanks to a group called Pathways United, pathwaysunited.org. They're actually there to help you raise money if you want to actually write grants uh, that might be received by the Department of Energy. Pathwaysunited.org can actually help you get that bread. Uh, they can help you uh, prepare your grant. And, you know, I don't know if anybody else has ever filled out a grant application, but it's really hard <laughs> and, and it sucks. <laughs> but Pathway United, pathwaysunited.org can help you if you if you have anything related to science, uh, fossil energy. Uh, emergency response, cybersecurity, transportation, decarbonization, et cetera. Uh, then reach out to pathwaysunited.org and they can hook you up and help you out. Uh, so anyway, all right, so let's jump into this, guys. So uh, Gangsta Boo uh, is a, an artist, uh, you know, and, and young, 
relative to how old she was supposed to live and uh, but older compared to hip hop artists. I mean, she's more of a 90s, early 2000s kind of artist in the sense that, you know, you're 43 years old. Uh, it, you know, teenagers think you're old, but, you know, we, we, we kind of realize you got a lot of years left. And unfortunately, she ended up um, passing away and it was real sad. And uh, and I and I want to talk about this delicate issue in a way that is definitely respectful of this artist passing. <clears throat> you know, I, I hate it. You know, I, I hate the fact that she died so young and uh, and it makes me very, very sad. Uh, but I want to ask you an honest question. I'm going to ask you a real honest question. I want you to give me an honest answer. Give me a yes or no in the chat on this. I like to ask simple questions so we can make important points. How many of you are sick of seeing rappers just dying every single week? Like, give me a yes in the chat if you're just tired of, you know, like, think about this. I mean, it's crazy that people think hip-hop culture is black culture. But unfortunately, a lot of hip-hop culture has become death culture. So because a lot of people think hip-hop culture is black culture, which we don't even make no money from it. Black people don't make the money from hip hop. You know, white and Jewish people, they took that. They took that because we sold out as soon as we could. You know, that, that was a whole debate about University of Colorado, Deion Sanders and all that. It was like, man, like whenever you get something good going, we always got to give it away. We did that with hip hop and, and I wish we had maintained ownership. Uh, but I'm just getting tired of it, man. I, it makes me very, very sad. So process this. They tell you that hip hop culture is black culture. But we know the hip hop culture has become death culture. Not all of it. Not Kendrick Lamar. I'm not talking about D1. I'm not talking about Immortal Technique. I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about that that part of hip hop culture that you know whites and Jews and others are promoting this stuff uh, around the world. And it's this this culture, this hip hop culture that's called black culture that is actually death culture implies that black culture is death culture. Like I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Do you get the logic here? In mathematics, we call that through transitivity. It's almost like like a type of contagion. So because they tell you that your culture is hip hop culture and that and, and a lot of hip hop culture has become death culture, they're literally basically giving you genocidal culture. They're feeding you genocide with a big old oversized spoon. They're, they're literally feeding you your death. They're telling you that you should sing and dance. That not only will you die, I think, I forgot who said, who made that statement. Somebody help me uh, remember who made this quote. But they said that, it, you know, something like if you're silent, then they'll kill you and tell you that you enjoyed it, or they'll torture you and put you through pain and, and tell the world that you had a good time, that you were singing and dancing and shaking your ass while they was killing you, while you were dying. You know, I don't really want, you know, death culture. I, I respect hip hop immensely. I've always been a fan of hip hop. I didn't even start listening to music until hip hop started. You know, so 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 uh, it, is, it is the love of hip hop that leads us to have the courage to have these hard conversations about hip hop. It's also the love of our youth that should make us have these hard conversations about what is and is not acceptable. Uh, so so I'm, I can talk about this from a couple of angles, right? Uh, I got the financial angle. You guys know my doctorate's in finance. I can see the financial angles of almost any topic. There's no topic you can present to me where I can't see the economic implications of that just because I thought about economics so deeply for the last 35 years. But there's also the part of me that remember this. I'm not a, a finance professor who happens to be a black man. I am a black man who happens to be a finance professor. So uh, everything I see in finance comes through the lens of blackness. All I care about is how this impacts black people. I don't really think about everybody else. And so what I really see here, when I really see what's going on with this culture is I see something that is not just toxic and painful and terrible, but it's also so economically costly, it's ridiculous. Drugs have cost the black community probably about $10 trillion in economic potential in the last 30 years. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't believe me? You think I'm exact? You think I'm being dramatic? Well, well, if you think I'm being dramatic, let me ask you a simple question. Give me a yes or no. Everybody in this chat, I want you to answer this question for me. 
How many of you have ever had somebody in your family get hooked on drugs? It, who where they 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 were totally messed up at that point. They couldn't really accomplish anything. Any business they had fell apart. They ruined their family fell apart. Lost their job. wasn't taking care of their kids no more. wasn't doing things. How many of you have somebody in your family who's been addicted to drugs at some point where you've had to watch drug addiction? I'm raising my hand because I had uh, my biological father was on drugs and my stepfather, my or, or who was really my father that raised me. He also fought through drugs. He fought through a heroin addiction. Okay. So next question. How many of you uh, know somebody who's been killed or in a drug-related incident? Somebody who had a, a, a million dollars worth of potential, who could have went on to become a doctor, lawyer, rocket scientist, anything, but they just ended up in a casket, maybe at an early age, because they was out here hustling, slanging, sitting in the trap, you know, rolling the dice, you know, just, you know what I mean? Like living living that, that life, that life that gets glorified, the life that gets glorified through this music that's being mass-promoted, remember, Hip hop artists have the talent to go in the studio and make the songs, but they don't have the, the billions of dollars in wealth that it takes to promote that song all around the world. So, so you're you might be uh, you know complicit in the creation. Some of our artists are complicit in the manifestation of the product, but we're not responsible for the distribution and the monetization of that product. We don't have the infrastructure economically to do that. I, I'm hoping we can develop that, but but I got to get some of some of these, some of these folks to listen. Some of these Negroes don't want to listen when I say let's stop chasing jobs and let's start chasing industry. But people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the poweronomics conversation. They want to hear the get a job conversation. Okay, fine, whatever. But seriously, how many of you know somebody has been killed over drugs um, or drug related violence? Uh, a, a third question, how many of you know somebody who's been locked up over dope? How many of y'all know somebody, uh, again, somebody could have been a husband, could have been a father, could have been an engineer, could have been a doctor, lawyer, could have been a business owner, could have been a millionaire, could have been extremely successful. How many of y'all know somebody in the black community who has gone to prison? Uh, I know several people who got 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years in prison. I talked to a guy the other day who told me his son had a 47-year prison sentence. And his father is a very intelligent man. His father is a very successful man. His father could have helped that boy become a millionaire, become anything he wanted, but he got caught up in the culture. He wanted to be about that life. He was listening to what he heard in the music. And therefore, next thing you know, he's, he's swaying away from his daddy. And now he's sitting up in jail, writing letters to children. True story. I'm not kidding. I heard this last night. Writing stories to children in elementary school saying, don't do what I did. And you know what he says? You know what you know what took him off the path? I want y'all to guess. What, what do y'all think took him off his path besides the, the culture? It was the drugs. It was the drugs. He said, Yeah, when I got high on that dope, I wasn't, I wasn't who I wasn't my normal person. He said, Man, if you met my son, you you'd know he was a he's a good man and, and you'd have loved him. He's a great guy. But when he was on those on them drugs, he was a different person. Do you follow what I'm do you get what I'm saying here? Do I sound preachy when I say this? I mean, maybe I sound preachy because maybe we need to be preaching about this. I don't know. Maybe I do sound preachy. I'm going to own it. I'm going to own it. Just call me Pastor Boyce right now because right now I'm getting, a, I'm feeling a little bit preachy because I feel like we need to start preaching to ourselves and each other in a loving way that this ain't it. This ain't it. This is not the way to maximize your melanin. This is not the best way. This is not you living your best life. This is not you being the best that you can be. This is not you reaching your potential. Drugs are a curse on the black community. When they dumped that cocaine in the in, in South Central LA in the 1980s, they took $10 trillion worth of economic potential out of your communities. You can't build business and industry and families in communities where you got 12-year-olds riding, riding around with AK-47s. You can't do that. 
You can't build strong billion-dollar families when half the family members are either hooked on dope or out here slinging. You can't do that. You can't, you can't build prosperous outcomes and prosperous communities when everybody is traumatized. My wife is a therapist. She's been a therapist for 30 years. She is an expert on addiction. And she's also got, she's a certified clinical trauma professional. You have no idea what trauma does in terms of crippling your economic and, and, and just your general life potential. Trauma shortens your lifespan. Y'all, I hope y'all know that. So when you are listening to music or you're buying into a culture that says that being black means that you not only have to throw your life away, but you got to be traumatized to the point of no return. Well, that's a death culture. That's, you know, you go up to some kid who grew up in a healthy environment, who grew up in a neighborhood where he wasn't being shot at every day, where he didn't get bullied on his way home, where he didn't have parents that were hooked on crack, where he didn't have to deal with extreme poverty, where he didn't have to get abused as a kid. And you look at him and you say, well, well, you you ain't really black. You ain't really, anybody ever heard that? Well, they get mad. You get mad when you find out that there's a black person that got a chance to live a healthy life. Like, sister, you ever see that where people will get be like, well, you don't, you don't know what I went through. You ain't never been through nothing. You ain't, well, I came up out the dirt. I came up out the gutter. I get it. I'm, pr- I'm proud of you. But shit, I don't want everybody having to come about the gutter because you ain't supposed to be born in the gutter in the first place. You ain't supposed to be born with, with no daddy that, that you, when your daddy ain't seen you since 1984. You ain't, that ain't normal, man. You're not supposed to be in a situation where you were slanging at the age of 12. That's not normal, bro. That's not the way, that's not the way childhood is supposed to happen. And I'm sorry that happened to you and you got to heal. There's therapists out here you can talk to that will help you work through that. But let's not, let's not incarcerate each other and poison each other by making each other feel bad because you didn't, because somebody else didn't have to go through this horrible shit that you went through. These are generational curses. Generational curses are like viruses that are supposed to be killed. You don't get a virus and then say, well, how many of my own people can I give it to? I mean, I got a virus. I got a real bad one. It's going to fuck. It's going to really mess you up. I'll make sure all my kids get it. I'll make sure my, 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 my girlfriend gets it. I'll make sure my, my, my cousin gets it. I'll make sure everybody in my family gets that virus of trauma. And next thing you know, you got complete chaos. So when I see rappers dying every week, they die about once a week. I start going, I do the forensics. I start looking back and I say, well, what was going on? What was the culture around this poor artist? What were, what were they what were they rapping about? What was really what was really going down here? And uh, and so when I look up Gangsta Boo and her unfortunate, untimely death, she's brilliant, she's smart, I, I, no doubt about it. Um, I look back at and I look at 3-6 Mafia and I do research and I find out that um, there's a guy named, anybody heard, give me a yes. Actually, as you hit the thumbs up button, by the way, please hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, you're watching drboystv.com, the home for intelligent black people. Just so you know, this podcast is on Spotify. It's on Apple. So if you go to Apple or Spotify, and I'd like for everybody to do this, please. It really helps us to build our platform. We're doing this independent. Ain't nobody trying to go. Ain't no corporations paying this pro-black. Ain't nobody paying corporations to train black people to change the culture. Ain't no, ain't no corporations paying, paying to see black people actually do better. So we have to do this on our own, and I'm okay with that. I accept that responsibility, but I can really use your help. So if everybody could take a moment, make sure you subscribe, 
hit the thumbs up button, hit the notification bell. And if you want to go further, share this video, please, because I don't hear a lot of messages out here like this. I don't hear it on, you know, on a lot of these major platforms that are out here. And I really think that we need to get this done. We, we, we have to do this. White men ain't going to do it for you. You got to do this. So also go to Apple or Spotify. Look up the Dr. Boyce Breakdown. You can find my podcast there. Uh, you can listen to it that way. So so let's move on here. Let's look this up. Anybody give me a yes or no in the chat on this question. I want you all to answer this for me. How many of y'all heard of a rapper by the name of Juicy J? Anybody heard of Juicy J? Any hip hop fans in the building heard about Juicy J? Um, so Juicy J, I'm, I'm going to try to get him on the screen here. Uh, now, if you're listening uh, on uh, Spotify, you won't see my screen, but uh, just imagine a real cool looking black man with sunglasses on. Uh, and uh, let me show y'all Juicy J. So this is Juicy J. Now, here's an interview Juicy J did with Complex Magazine. And uh, it, it, he now, now what y'all read that? Y'all see that title up there? What does that title say? Y'all see that title? Juicy J speaks up on how drugs, he speaks on how drugs really broke up 3-6 Mafia. So 3-6 Mafia, uh, this extraordinary talented group, uh, making millions of dollars, just killing it, killing it. Uh, he, Juicy J, in this interview, basically talks about the impact of drugs and how that ruined their million, multi-million dollar opportunity. You know, and, and, and see, here's the thing. I want y'all to make these connections. I have to make these explicit just for the people in the back that may not get it. A lot of people get confused when they come here and they're like, well, you're supposed to be a financial guy. Why are you, why are you talking about hip hop? Well, because it don't get more financial than hip hop. Hip hop was supposed to be your greatest economic export in the history of the black community. Hip hop was supposed to be, that was God's multi-trillion dollar gift to black people. And y'all gave it away. So, so if, if you're going to talk about black economics, which is all I really talk about, you can't talk about black economics without talking about hip hop and culture. My whole book, I, the, the new book I wrote, you can go get it on Amazon. It's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, it's mostly about culture. It's about understanding what a wealthy culture looks like. Um, did y'all know there's a country, Indonesia, I believe, um, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but I believe it's Indonesia. Indonesia had uh, a, 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 an export that was really valuable. Uh, they have a tr tremendous amount of nickel in the ground. There's a lot of nickel, not the nickels in your pocket, but like nickel in the ground that you actually can go mine the nickel. And let me tell you what Indonesia did. And black people need to take notes on this shit. So Indonesia said, we have the greatest reserves on earth of nickel anywhere. What do people, can anybody, any scientists in the building, uh, maybe you can go to pathwaysunited.org to get grant funding. Any scientists in the building that know what nickel is used for? Can anybody tell me what major, major industry is heavily dependent upon nickel to make its product? Can anybody guess? Somebody try to guess. I'm going to give you a second to guess. Yeah, there we go. Electric vehicles. Electric vehicle batteries have a tremendous amount of nickel. So Indonesia said, okay, we got you. They said, we got you, bitch. So they basically knew that because they had this excessive supply of nickel, they said, um, you can't have our nickel unless you build your manufacturing facility in our country. 
Did y'all know that? They, they literally made a power move. They made, they said, you can't use our commodity. You can't take our ball and go home. You can't take, you can't come eat and run. You can't come here and do us like you did Africa and take the resources and, and take them back to your country or just help your people and leave our people behind. You can't do what y'all did, what they did to black people, where they took hip hop and, and exported it. And, and then it's being mass produced by major corporations that don't give a damn about black people. They said, no, no, if you use our resource, Pay attention now. If you use our trillion dollar resource, you got to make sure we get taken care of. You got to make sure that, that we're in on the deal. You're not going to cut us out the deal. We had some, some economic thinkers in the South Bronx in the 1970s that could see what hip hop was becoming. Russell Simmons was actually one. Russell was a friend of mine, but Russell had to make a lot of deals with people outside the black community because I don't think everybody got what he what he saw with hip hop. He's, you know, shout out to Russell. He's not a perfect guy, but he's a great businessman. And Russell saw when he brought up Curtis Blow and Run DMC and all that stuff. He and LL Cool J, he saw what hip hop was becoming. Shout out to Russell. But we didn't have a lot of Russell Simmons necessarily. And, and maybe they existed, but we didn't listen to them. Right. We were listening to other people. But can you imagine if somebody had said, look, let's all come together. Let's get on code. We're not going to let them use any of our culture, any of our uh, you know, DJ Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash and Africa Bambata. All of that is going to have to be done in the South Bronx. It's going to have to be manufactured here. If you want to make this kind of music, you got to make it here. If you want to use any of this, we got it all patented and trademarked and everything else. If you want to use any of this, you got to make sure we're getting a cut of that. Because this is our export to the world. Can you imagine how many hundreds of billions of dollars would have been made if there had been a thought process behind that? But instead, the Sugar Hill Gang just kind of, or not the Sugar Hill Gang, Sugar Hill Records, I guess is what it's called. They kind of popped in. They're like, okay, let me grab three black guys and make some rap, some of this hippity hop music. And we're going to take this, we're going to sneak out the back door with this commodity, and we're going to export it to the world, and we're going to get paid. And, and the black community will get left behind. That is a consistent move that has been done against you, and that is massive in terms of the economic loss that it happened right in front of your eyes. It also happens with your athletes. A lot of your athletes get taken by big white universities that don't that that really never really want to pay them properly uh, to, or compensate their families. They're, they're still they're paying them a little bit more now with name, image, and likeness deals, but it's still not fair. It's not a fair trade at all. And your HBCUs are left in the dirt. It's so crazy. I mean, process is how ridiculous this is. Does anybody understand the sheer hilarity of the fact that HBCUs, black universities, have the worst black athletes? Like, does anybody ever think that's weird, or is it just me? Or am I the only person in the building that has a little ounce of common sense right now? Does it does it make any sense that some some hokey pasty white school like I don't know University of Colorado can have better black athletes than every single HBCU in the country? That's that's sad. That's truly sad. Uh, and what it shows is a lack of foresight. Uh, if you go into hip hop again, we can go. We're gonna go back to, to Juicy J and Three Six Mafia and and, uh, and and what happened with this sister here in a minute. But um, uh, Gangsta Boo, I'm sorry. Uh, but 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 let's let's think about that. Death Row Records was a multi billion dollar opportunity. That was a multi billion dollar gift from God. God said, "I'm gonna put you right in the middle of this emerging multi billion dollar industry called gangster rap." You will have opportunities unlike anyone else. You will have the ability to literally spit on it. Tupac could literally go in the bathroom and make a song in, in five minutes that would become a number one hit and make millions of dollars for the label. Tupac could get on a record with no writing down nothing and just talk 
for for three minutes and that song would be a hit because it was pop and it was because of his culture, because of his style, because of his swag. That's what made people go buy the records, right? So so God gave this multi-billion dollar gift and next thing you know, it gets destroyed. Well, what, what was part of what destroyed it? Well, it was culture. It was uh, guys going to the studio, getting high and drunk, um, you know, upholding you know some sort of you know gang type of thing going on, uh, hanging hanging people out the window by the ankles to make them sign contracts, uh, going out and killing people when you ain't got no when you when you have no need to do that, right? Just trying to maintain this culture that's a death culture, right? That's it, like like literally holding on to something that is incredibly toxic and unhealthy. So and so as a result. Uh, Death Row Records ends up being bought by Hasbro, the same company that owns Mr. Potato Head. Now, Snoop Dogg just bought Death Row Records back. Maybe he can reignite some of that. I hope that he does. God bless him for that. But at the end of the day, you got to really think about this, man. You know, this. I know it's cool to be getting high and drunk all the time. I know that, uh, or people think it's cool. I know that it's. It, it seems like it's cool to be glorifying drug dealing and, and drug using and gang banging and all that. None of that is cool if you want to live. None of that is cool it, unless, unless you want to end up like young thug who's facing probably 80 years in prison. They're going to give that. But that boy is that poor kid, that poor kid. I feel so bad for him because sometimes the culture scoops you up before you even have a chance to be conscious enough to even understand your surroundings. Sometimes the culture grabs you and makes you loyal to a set of ideas where you don't even realize how terrible and toxic those ideas are. You know, so I'm sitting here. I'm really wondering when I see this Rico uh, case going on in Atlanta, I'm sitting there thinking, man, you're making all this money. You're on top of the world. Why would you ruin that? First of all, you don't understand that when you get that big, you're going to have some of the biggest enemies out there. The federal government is a hell of an adversary. They're going to come after you. They're going to exploit every weakness. And when you are high and drunk all the time and doing things that are going to get you locked up, then eventually you will go down. You know, so so I just don't understand why we as a community are not committed to really talking to our young people about the sheer strategy of being black in America. I mean, the sheer strategy, really understanding that um, that you're not a worthy adversary for anybody if you high and drunk all the time. A, a drunk man, a high man, a man who's distracted by booty and bling and and whatever is not a person who's going to typically be very competitive in a uh, racist society that wants to kill you and wants to take all your money and wants to see you in prison for the rest of your life. Like you're just not going to be able to succeed. So, so I just don't think I, I really, so here's my gift that I'm trying to give to the people that want to listen. My gift to you is I realized what a gift my father was because my father is a guy um, where he would always advise me on strategy and he would advise me on strategy as a black man. So you don't get caught slipping. And he and so as, as a result, my father, who went through he went to Vietnam, uh, shout out to all the veterans in the room. I respect soldiers immensely uh, as a guy who overcame a heroin addiction, who overcame the street life, who had many friends go to prison or die. My father always kind of warned me about all the little traps that exist in our society. And the number one trap, the very first one he talked to me about was drugs and alcohol. It's crazy because my father liked to drink. He still drinks. But he, at an early age, he said, uh, he said he would say little things like, never tell a drunk all your secrets because a drunk will eventually snitch on everybody. He's going to tell everything because you know, he doesn't control his inhibitions. 
uh, and also being drunk messes up your decision making. Or we'd be driving through the city and he'd say, you see that guy over there? And I say, yeah, it'd be some you know, homeless guy. And he'd say, I knew him in high school. He was real smart. He had a bright future. And now he got into drugs. Do you want to be like that? And I say, no. And he'd say, well, then stay away from drugs. You know, just little simple messages like that. And that led me to say, okay, if I want to win, and I'm a competitor, and maybe everybody isn't a competitor. Maybe we've taken all the masculinity out of our men to the point where they don't. A lot of them don't want to win. I have no idea. I'm talking to the people that want to win. You know, in fact, Eric, raise your hand. Give me a yes in the chat if you want to win. If you're, if you type the word winner in the chat. How about that winner? I, I want the winners in the room. And if you're not a winner yet, I can give you some ideas that might help you. But I remember just thinking that. In this world, because I'm black, I don't have really that many friends. Um, nobody really gives a damn about me. Uh, Maybe I'll luck out and get a black woman who cares about me. Uh, and uh, so I wasn't going to marry a Becky. I just couldn't do it. And also, uh, maybe I'll have some brothers that might actually care about me, even though most of my friends that got murdered got killed by another black man. So even other people that look like me, all skin folk and kin folk. And, uh, and, and, and also, I learned that you have to be a proactive as a thinker and strategic as a thinker to even survive as a black man, let alone to be successful. That the idea that you can simply go around sloppy, pissy drunk, uh, high, high as a kite all the time, throwing away your money, throwing away every opportunity, dropping your seed in any old nasty vagina with a big booty attached, and that you're literally, that you're going to ever be successful with that strategy. I never, ever thought that made sense as a strategy. Right. It just didn't make gambling. We talked about gambling. You know, a lot of guys, you know, Antoine Walker made a hundred million dollars as an NBA player. That hundred million dollars could have easily been a billion dollars by now. He could be a billionaire right now, but he literally spent every single penny of that money. A lot of it was based on gambling and bad choices that came from a toxic culture that somebody passed on to him. So so perhaps. And so if you ever want to know why I get out here and I just kind of run my mouth a little bit and talk about these things and I talk about finance in an unconventional way, it's because if you don't really think about these things, then you'll never, ever have a chance to be rich. Everybody wants to be rich, but they don't understand the strategy and discipline necessary to obtain the wealth and to protect the wealth. They don't they don't understand that. You know, when I looked at Tory Lanez and Megan Thee Stallion, I said, what the hell is this nonsense? What is what you shot your girlfriend in the tour? And then she's why are you dating a thug? And why are you shooting your girlfriend? Why are y'all both drunk at a Kardashian party with gun on your hip anyway? Like like who told you that this was lit? Who told you that this was the way to live? This does not look like a healthy lifestyle to me. This looks like a lifestyle where you're constantly filled with fear and paranoia and all kinds of anxiety that comes from the fact that hip hop is a really horrible place to live. Ain't nothing good about being in that industry. Nothing, nothing. There's nothing fun for your mental health. We're all on the mental health kick. I think 2023 could be the year of black mental health. I don't know about y'all, but maybe that's what we should do. But there's nothing good for your mental, physical, or spiritual health about being in an industry where you are surrounded by all kinds of things that can kill you, get you locked up in prison, cause you to lose everything, or destroy your life. There's nothing healthy about that. But the white man told you it was lit. He put that shit on the radio when you were little and you've been fantasizing your whole entire life about living, living that lifestyle. 
they, I think Young Thug got a song. I don't, it's like mumble rap. Uh, what was it? Uh, Future started mumble rap with that song, Tony Montana, 10 years ago. Since then, I, I don't understand none of the, the, the damn words. But he's like, he got that song where he's like, my lifestyle, my lifestyle. Anybody know that song? And he's rapping about his lifestyle. And in the video, he's showing himself getting off private jets, holding glasses or whatever. Got a gun on his hip, a bunch of money on the side. Got some pretty girl with a big booty over here. And that's the, the thing that the kids are seeing. And they're falling in love with this imagery. But they're not seeing what he probably feels like waking up in a jail cell every day. You know, and this is just real stuff, man. And I, I really kind of think the whole narrative and the whole conversation has to change. I think that we need a new dominant conversation in the black community. I can't talk to uh, everybody. Some people think I'm uppity. They think I'm a snob because I want you to be intelligent. I've had that. I've had that people. I think Kwame, Kwame Brown, that basketball player, said that I was uppity because I said I want black people to be intelligent. Well, I don't give a damn. I'm still going to be intelligent. I, I, don't, I don't care. Whatever. You can think what you want, but I want black people to be smart. Uh, some people think I'm uppity because I'm a college professor. Like somehow being a college professor means you don't know what it's like to go through a struggle. Well, no, I've probably been poorer than you. I, I know what it's like to be extremely poor. I, every single story, there's no hood story you could really tell that I can't relate to in, in terms of my own experience. <laughs> I've had many relatives go to prison. Uh, I was born in the projects. When my 17-year-old mother gave birth to me in that hospital, there was nobody in that, in that whole hospital waiting for me to be born except for her and that white nurse that delivered me in the damn hospital. And then it was me and her waiting on the corner for somebody to pick us up after we, I was born. They told her to abort me because I would be nothing but a nuisance. Well, right now, I want to be a nuisance to white supremacy. So you're right. I am a nuisance. I'm, I want to be up the ass of every piece of nonsense that's out here. I want to be at least one of those voices in the woods to say, Come on, what is happening here? What is this? You know, I don't like seeing what I'm seeing right now. And so, 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 you know, so going back to uh, what's going on with what happened with this poor sister, uh, Gangsta Boo, uh, her name was Lola. That's her real name. We call her Lola. I call, I'm gonna call her Lola because I, I don't call her Gangsta Boo. Um, you know, I, 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 43 years old is, is a young time to die. She, it was far too young. I know TMZ is claiming that it could have been drug related. I don't really like or trust TMZ on that level, so I'm not going to say it as fact. But uh, but at the same time, you, you'd you be wrong to ignore the fact that for many years, 3-6 Mafia rapped heavily about drugs. Anybody remember the song? Did that th I think, if I'm not mistaken, give me a yes in the chat if I'm correct about this. I believe 3-6 Mafia had a song that where the chorus was, sipping on some scissor, sip, sip, sipping on some scissor, Anybody remember that song? Anybody remember um, uh, it's what they said, sipping on some scissor? What, 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 anybody remember that? Let me see that song. Yep, that was one of their biggest hits. And uh, so what is, um, what is scissor? Anybody know what scissor is? Let's see, scissor is, uh, it's a, it's cough syrup mixed with codeine. It's cough syrup mixed with codeine. It's mixed with Sprite or any other beverage, primarily syrup mixed with Sprite. Okay, um, let's see here, uh, and uh, and so let's see what's the what's the the effects of of drinking syrup. Let's see here. The effects of drinking syrup, purple drink, uh, under addiction and abuse, um, according to the Addiction Center. Now, again, I'm not in any way dogging anybody out or making fun of anybody. You know, I understand. 
culture can trick you. Culture can make you uh, think that certain things are cool to do and healthy and whatever when they're really not. And so lean addiction, lean is an illicit substance made with codeine containing cough syrup, soda, hard candy, occasionally alcohol and antihistamine promethazine. Uh, Codeine is derived from the opium poppy plant uh, and is one of the weaker opioids. However, it's still highly addictive and potentially damaging to the body. It's possible for an individual to develop a lean in a relatively short period of time due to the way that opioids short circuit the brain's reward response system. Also known as purple drink, scissor, dirty Sprite. Now, now pay attention now, pay attention now. Did anybody, like when you heard that song, Sipping on Some Scissor, did, did, was that catchy? Did give me a yes if you thought that was a dope song, if you thought it was catchy. Because uh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna show you something real quick. Anybody remember, Sipping on Some Scissor, Sip, sip, sipping on some scissor. How many of y'all think that's like catchy? Like that was a catchy tune. Okay. So yes, thank you. Okay. So so what I need you to understand is let's go into the world of business. That's all marketing really is. That's what marketing is. Marketing is the use of catchy slogans and catchy tunes uh, to seep ideas into your subconscious so that you are uh, connected to those ideas. So when a hip hop song comes out, and they're saying sipping on some scissor, sipping sip, sip on some scissor, and you're repeating it over and over and over again, especially when you are a child. Well, then guess what? You probably created another million scissor addicts all across the country. You don't believe me? Let me give you another example. Russell Simmons, uh, you know, I told you Russell, Russell's a friend of mine. I don't care what, you know, what he's, you know, I know people have mixed feelings about him one way or the other, but I work with Russell uh, to help brothers get out of prison during the Obama administration. And uh, Russell really stood up. Uh, Russell did some amazing work. Uh, we, I wrote a letter to President Obama asking him to change his incarceration policy back in 2013. Uh, and I got a lot of um, scholars and, uh, and civil rights leaders to sign it. Russell got a lot of celebrities. Uh, Will and Jada signed it. The, the, even the Kardashians signed it. He got a lot of rappers to sign it. And I appreciate that very much. You know, so Chris Rock, a lot of people. And um, and so Russell held up his end of the deal. I held up mine and we got we got some things done. We got the Justice Department to make some critical decisions on incarceration that got a lot of people out of jail. But uh, here's the thing. One thing that Russell did that, that was really um, an interesting uh, marketing tactic, especially in the 1980s, was uh, he had uh, his brother who was in Run DMC make a song called My Adidas. Anybody remember that? My Adidas. How many of y'all remember that song? Okay, so uh, when he made that song, uh, uh, millions and millions of people started wearing Adidas. Millions of black people started wearing Adidas. Anybody, anybody in there old enough to ever have an Adidas tracksuit or maybe have Adidas sneakers or maybe you, you wanted them? In fact, I've, I've got some, I could literally go in my suitcase now and pull a pair of Adidas out. Um, you know, Kanye West had a major deal with Adidas, right? I was on the phone with Kanye last week. I don't know why he let that deal go, but that's his choice. It's his, it's his, it's his quarter of a billion dollars a year to throw away. I'm not mine, but I, I don't, I wouldn't throw that away. Not over, not over that stuff. But anyway, so, so here's the point. So, so Russell, in order to get an Adidas endorsement deal, he wanted to show Adidas the impact of hip hop. You know, he explained to them something very clear that, that is still true to this day that hip-hop music is better than any marketing campaign you could ever come up with. People are going to listen to a rapper with a dope verse faster than they'll ever listen to some corny jingle that was brought up by some lily white corporation. So what he did was he brought an Adidas executive. It's better, easier to show them than it is to tell them. He brought an Adidas executive to, uh, to uh, a Run DMC concert. 
And he told his brother, he said, in the middle of the concert, I want you to tell everybody in the, in the audience to take one Adidas off and hold it in the air. And this executive saw it. He said, everybody got Adidas on your feet. Everybody hold, take your Adidas off, hold it in the air. And he held that. And everybody, and, and literally this executive sat there and watched like 80,000 people hold up an Adidas in the air because they had all went out and bought Adidas just because of the damn song. Just because the song was saying, my Adidas. So if you can do that with my Adidas, what do you think happened when there's another hit song called Sipping on Some Scissor? Sip, sip, sipping on some scissor. Well, you're creating an image. You're creating this image. Of like it, the, the kid wants to be cool. So the, the way I can look cool is I get me a cup of something, a cup of drink, and I'm holding that cup of drink, and everybody thinks I'm cool. All the girls want to be with me because I'm looking the coolest. And it's, it is, it's, it's toxic for everybody because, number one, that drink's going to kill your ass. Especially you get in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. When you get to your 40s, you, you try to live like your 20s, you end up like DMX. DMX, unfortunately, love RIP to DMX, talented artist. DMX lived a fast life in his 20s. He survived it in his 30s. You get to your 40s, your body can't take it no more. Next thing you know, DMX dies earlier than he should have. So, uh, so your health consequences are massive. Also, on top of that, a lot of crimes, a lot of people have gotten 30, 40 year prison sentences for things that they did while they were high, while they were drunk. There are men in prison for rape that they committed while they were high, while they were drunk. Now, maybe they would have done it if they weren't high or drunk, but a lot of people act differently when they're high or when they're drunk. When I was working on college campuses at Syracuse University, University of Kentucky, Indiana University, when I was on the faculty, I remember every time there was like a date rape case, there was almost always alcohol involved. So why would you want your young people using drugs and alcohol if it's going to put them in a position where they might be dead or might be in jail over something that they sincerely regret? I saw a story of a 19-year-old kid who took a hit of a joint from his friend. The joint has something in it. He said, the next, I don't remember what happened for the rest of the day. All I know is that they arrested me for killing somebody. And I don't even remember doing anything that day after that joint. I hit that joint, whatever was in it. I don't know what was in it, but it, it 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 blanked me out. So what I'm saying to you is I'm here's what I'm proposing. I want to propose this and, and give me a yes if it's okay if, if we consider this. Give me a yes if you believe that black people should have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to drugs. Give me a yes if you believe that black people should have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to drug use. Uh, give me a yes if you believe black people should have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to uh, promotion of drug use? Give me a yes if Black people should have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to the promotion of drugs, drug dealing, anything related to drugs, marketing of drugs, use of drugs, zero tolerance. We're not cool with that at all. You know, again, I'm not talking to the people that smoke a little natural herb or whatever. I'm not judging any of that. Although there are some studies I can point to. Uh, my wife, again, my wife is an addiction expert. She can point to some studies that say that sitting around smoking weed all day ain't going to be, be real good for your productivity, but that's up to you. But I really think that we've got to understand just how damaging drugs have been in terms of destroying not just trillions of dollars in economic potential, but I haven't even talked about the trauma and the pain of dealing with a, a relative that's hooked on dope. I've had to cut relatives off because they wouldn't stop using. I said, I can't have you around because I trust you. I just don't trust you on drugs. You on drugs is a different person. It steals people away from you that you love. 
That's painful, man. That's terrible. Why would we subject ourselves to that? Why would we allow white people to promote music and even white Asian people, whoever's doing black people, whoever's promoting it? Why would we let record labels promote music that is deliberately designed to get as many of our children as possible hooked on dope at an early age? Do you understand what drugs does to the developing brain of a child when you're 17 and you're getting high all the time? Your brain ain't even fully developed. Your brain doesn't even fully develop until you're 25 years old. So you are doing damage to your mind that will affect you for the rest of your life. If you have a son or a daughter, I hope that you will let them listen to this video so they will hear it right from me. So they will just know. So I'm not going to tell them what to do, but they but they'll know if they go and they do something different then something bad comes out of it. They end up in some messed up situation, the Megan the Stallion type scenario. Well, then your, your son will have heard that, look, getting high and drunk could lead you to make bad decisions. Your daughter will have learned that chasing around these high, high drunk thugs, the thug culture will put you in dangerous situations. Why in the world? Who taught you that thugs were sexy? Who taught you that it was cool and attractive for a man to run around with a damn death wish, with a gun on his hip, getting high and drunk as much as possible, disrespecting the people around him, disrespecting his own life? Who taught you that that was attractive? It was the music. It was the music industry. There's nothing attractive or appealing about Lil Wayne as a father or a husband. There's nothing appealing about this man that, that you know, again, I'm not a woman, but I'm just saying in general, there's nothing about a guy like that, I'm not dogging him. I'm sorry. I know it might hurt people's feelings. I might offend some people. I'm not trying to offend nobody. But I think even Wayne would agree. This, this dude tattoos all over his head, head to toe, all, including his face, high and drunk all the time, literally makes songs about how he's going to steal your girl. Uh, and, and, and the lyrics were, I'm going to make her nut for me, then slut for me, then steal for me and kill for me. And of course, it'll be your cash. And then I'll murder that bitch and send her body back to your ass. What in the world makes you think that that's going to be a good man for you or your daughter? Who taught you that this is appealing on any level? Oh, I forgot. White people gave him lots of money to promote the most toxically destructive black male image in the history of all mankind. And you look right past it because he's he's a talented lyricist. He's very talented. I'm not gonna say he's not talented. I'm not gonna take that away from him. But he doesn't he doesn't need more money and fame. He needs a therapist. He's been through a lot. You know, and, and, and what really freaks me out is how we've trained the girls and the boys to look up to this stuff. And so so your son grows up and he wants to be um a doctor, lawyer, scientist, business owner. But then he sees a pretty girl and says, oh, I like that girl. I'm going to ask out on a date. And she looks at him like, you such you so square. You a square. You a square. I don't want to be with no square. And then she sees him run off and dating the thug. So then your son says, oh, man, making good grades and being smart. That, that's for white people. I want to I want to be in these streets. I want to I want to be I want to be gangster. I want to be whatever. Right. So he starts imitating his favorite rapper because he's trying to get acceptance from the girl. So so, you know, I don't know exactly what all the solutions are, but I'm going to tell you, you got to really pay attention to this culture and say something about this nonsense. This is chaotic. You know, I, I, I thank God. And, and I really think that the breakdown of the family is hugely connected to this. I thank God that my my wife had a father who was a smart man and a college professor. 
Because when my wife was getting hit on by the thugs, my wife was, I think she's a gorgeous lady. And, and a lot of men thought she was gorgeous. I went to, I went to the club with my wife one time, a long time ago when we were much younger. And I, and I saw how the men reacted to her and I said, Oh Lord, I got some competition. And, and, and she was, she was hit on by the thugs. She was hit on by NBA athletes, NFL athletes, all this other stuff. And she said, no, I want the smart guy. I want the guy who's in the library. And now that's me. I'm like, okay, I, if you want a smart guy, I'm your man. I can do that. But I can't, I'm not six foot. I'm not six, eight, 250. I can't dunk a basketball. I can't throw a football down the football field. I, I can't bust a rap. I don't, I'm not trying to thug out. <laughs> I, I don't want to get high every day. I'm not trying to do all this other stuff to fit in. I never tried to fit into none of that shit. Cause I'm not trying to be dead at an early age, but I, but I can be that guy in the library for you. And, and thank God, I was really happy that there were women, and there are lots of women out there like that. It's not to say she's the only one, and, and I know a lot of you think that way, and I applaud you for that. And I just encourage men um, who also don't want to fit that culture, you know, really be proud of who you are. You know, you, you got to stand up and speak up on the nonsense. Uh, don't let anybody shape you or change you or make you feel that there's something wrong with the fact that you would rather read a book than pick up a joint. Or or make or make you feel bad about the fact that you'd rather work hard than sit around and get drunk all day. Like you should be proud of that because you're a man. You're being a man. Like you, that's what you can build a community on. You can't build a community. Uh, you can't build communities and families uh, with a bunch of people that want to get hooked on drugs and want to sell drugs and want to kill each other. That's just a fundamental fact. You can't build a strong community off that. Can we at least agree on that? Give me a yes. We can at least agree that you can't really build a strong black community, not a strong, prosperous, healthy black community on a culture that is that toxic, that literally in almost every other song, they're promoting drug use, drug selling, um, killing, uh, drug addiction. Uh, I already said that drug addiction, uh, financial irresponsibility, uh, extreme sexual irresponsibility. Uh, you, you cannot build anything off of that. That is a culture that will crumble. That is a genocidal culture. And, and the thing about that culture that's really interesting to me is that we validate it because why? Well, because the white man's money makes you think that shit is Shinola. You literally, they can literally take a turd and put it in a, in a, in a pretty golden box and put a million dollars in with that turd. And you'll say, my God, that's a delicious turd. That's what we do. We literally will take any, you, you, you don't, you, you know, we, we're not trained to look at the substance or the content of someone's character. We're not trained to look at how somebody's treating their children, how somebody's living their life, the choices that they're making, how thoughtful they are, how intelligent they're trying to be. We don't look at none of that. If a person's got enough money, we think that's automatically a successful black person. Well, I'm sorry, but if you are in that category where white folks then gave you a bunch of money to act like a damn clown, you are not a success. You are a miserable, miserable failure. If I take that money away from you, again, I'm speaking as a guy who understands money very well. I understand it better than damn near everybody. And I can tell you, if I take that money away from you, you become nothing. You become a plague. You become a complete loser. So at the end of the day, what I'm saying is let's start measuring ourselves based on the content of our character, the content of who we are. You know, because the white man is always going to have more money than you for a long time. It's for at least the next hundred years, he's going to have the bulk of the wealth in this country. That's that's a fact because he stole it. Um, you know, it's, it's it's tough for us to obtain it. Uh, you know, some of you will have more money than white people because you're making the right moves. You're very, very smart with your investing. You're making all the right decisions now. So your family will do well. The majority of black people won't be in that position. So you cannot let people buy you out of your dignity. You can't. Um, so anyway, let me keep going. Do me a favor, guys. Please hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up. Uh, share. Subscribe. Uh, also, I want to remind everybody that uh, in the black business school, 
we do a lot. We don't just talk about we don't talk about it. We are about it. We've actually helped over 10 million of our people learn how to invest uh, for the first time. And we actually created these really awesome financial flashcards for children uh, that cover everything from uh, from wealth and investing to uh, to credit. Uh, also, we have some uh, real estate flashcards, et cetera. So if you'd like to take a look at that, feel free to go to uh, financialflashcards.com. Uh, also, uh, if you could take a moment, please hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe. And I want to warn everybody that there are a lot of fake accounts out there that pretend to be me and they're going to reach out to you in your inbox. And I want you to report those accounts if you can and uh, be very careful. I don't want them to hurt you. All right. So uh, so let me um, let me just mention a couple more things. So we we're talking about Gangsta Boo, uh, a.k.a. Lola. And you all know how I am. I like to really talk about the whole issue. I like to talk about the whole situation, not just one incident, uh, because I, I think that her death was unfortunate. It makes me very, very sad. Uh, and then when I read about Lola's death, uh, I did see what, what TMZ was saying, where they believe that it could be drug related. And then I said, well, I'm not going to make that assumption because I don't really trust TMZ. I, I knew Vlad from Vlad TV. If you go back, you'll find a couple of interviews with me on Vlad TV. I don't talk to Vlad anymore because I'm not a fan of culture vultures. I'm not a big fan of how Vlad kind of um, uh, exploits the dysfunction of black culture. You know, the, the closer you are to death, uh, or the, 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 the more uh, screwed up something is, the more fascinated they are with it. And uh, unfortunately for us, it has real effects because it really affects real people in your family. And, and one of the things I, I did find was uh, when I was reading this article where Juicy J was explaining that uh, drugs is what destroyed 3-6 Mafia. I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, basically, you know, he was saying that when uh, the all the people in Three Six Mafia, when they were doing really well and they were on top of the world, he said the drugs was making it tough for people to show up in the studio. He said the drugs were, uh, you know, making it tough for them to get along. He said that when we weren't involved in drugs, when the drugs were not around, we could all get on the same page. We were all good people. But when you take a mind-altering substance and you put it inside your body, then you end up alter, you end up uh, reshaping and changing who you are and how you engage with other people. So one of the things, uh, again, in terms of the wealth conversation that Juicy J brought up is that they lost a huge opportunity with 3-6 Mafia uh, because of drugs. In fact, uh, here's what it says in this article. He said, from heroin to meth to cocaine, they took all kinds of pills. So he said the wildest drugs. That's what he, that's, those are his words. He, uh, Juicy also said, quote, a lot of drugs were consumed during the times we were together when everybody was sober uh, everybody's on the same page. But when cocaine's involved, things change. But I'm not pointing the finger at nobody. Uh, he said that the drugs, uh, he, he said that uh, he would find the members of the group if they allowed drugs to get in the way of their work. Uh, but that didn't, I guess that wasn't enough. He elaborated that he can't think of nothing else that would have ended the group, adding that it explained why people weren't showing up to the studio. Business was crazy. Everything's folding. It was the drugs. He says, quote, I had to bust up Lord, bust in Lord Infamous's room before, and I was almost in tears. Uh, he said, I thought, he said, I thought he was dead at first. So I had to go get the keys because he wouldn't answer the phone. I was banging on the door. So I had to bust up in his room and had to pretty much beat him with a pillow to wake him up. This sounds sad. It sounds very traumatic. Um, it sounds like a lot of money was lost uh, because of the drugs. Um, you know, I don't know what it is. That makes people try drugs for the first time. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's inside the crack house that makes people keep going back. And uh, one of the things I can say for sure is that I always never wanted to know what was in the crack house. Uh, in fact, not only that, 
But because I saw so many black men, how many black men in my own family that had tremendous potential ruin their lives over alcohol. Uh, a lot of y'all got the drunk uncle that would just drink, 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 drink himself to death. And unfortunately, we attach the image of masculinity to alcohol consumption, which I reject that completely. Uh, in fact, if you ever want to piss me off, tell me that you don't think I'm as much of a man because I don't drink. A guy did that to me in Guyana. My wife will tell you about it. He was one of those big husky drug dealer types. He had a shirt open with his chain out. You know, I think he was a dope dealer. He had a big old house and all that stuff. And uh, he offered me a drink. And uh, and I said, uh, and he was his daughter was friends with my daughter. And he offered me a drink. And uh, and I said, I don't drink. I, I'll take water. And he said, Well, you know, in Guyana, we men will make fun of you if you don't drink. And I and I, I was I wanted to I was literally like, well, first I just politely said, Well, I don't care. You can make fun of me. Everybody, I don't it don't matter to me. People make fun of me. I just don't want to drink. But really, I was thinking, fuck you. Like, like really, I was really thinking you can kiss my whole entire black ass right now because you're not gonna convince me that in order to impress you with a false image of masculinity, that I'm going to put myself in a situation where I um, jeopardize my ability to be aware of my surroundings. I'm not going to do that. And uh, and and I saw Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, shout out to Shaquille on this one. I don't like everything Shaquille does. Some of the stuff he does gets on my nerves. But one thing he did that I really respected was he went on Drink Champs, uh, which again another just unhealthy, toxic kind of space. Uh, you know, I don't know why you'd want to be a drinking champion. Uh, and again, this these are these are these silly. Uh, traditions that people establish is mostly in a kind of an American thing, but people do it around the world. And uh, he went on drink champs uh, and they were all drinking and they offered him a drink. And he said, I'm not going to jeopardize my mother's empire by being drunk in public. And I thought that was great because what he was basically speaking was from a position of strategy. Remember Shaquille O'Neal as, as again, as, 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 as odd as he can be at times, uh, he had a strong, he had a strong father who was a military man who taught him the value of discipline and strategy, you know, and, and, and unfortunately that's not popular in the community. You know, we, we, we have a, a lot of young boys that never get that. And I'm sure his father had the same talk with him that my father had with me, that uh, if you want to be alert, if you want to be successful, if you want to be on top of your game, if you want to be competitive, if you want to avoid your adversaries and not get caught slipping, don't go out here getting drunk and high all the time because that's how they take advantage of you. A lot of people get taken advantage of when they're drunk and high. Like you'll never hear, I'm going to tell you like this, for example, you'll never hear about a random police shooting of a member of the Nation of Islam. You just won't. You won't hear. Uh, and maybe maybe one day it could happen, but I've never seen anything like that. You'll never hear about some brother from the Nation of Islam who was just out high on pills or a pissy drunk who got beat by the police or murdered by a cop or whatever. I'm not saying that, that anybody deserves that to happen, but I'm saying you won't hear that happen to them. Why won't that ever happen to them? Well, because they're disciplined, because they're prepared, they're ready. That's why I like the guys in the nation. I, I got friends in the nation. Those are those are my buddies. Those are guys I love to. I'll ride with a guy in the guys in the nation any day of the week because they are always prepared. They understand the game that they're playing. You know, Farrakhan is uh, the, a, a tremendous educator of young black men when it comes to dealing with the liabilities and vulnerabilities that may come with being a young black man. So uh, I encourage all black people who love their sons, prepare your son for battle, at least psychologically prepare him for battle, prepare him to take accountability, prepare him to make good decisions, prepare him to think in a proactive fashion and not a reactive fashion. And don't and teach him at the very least to be a rock 
and, and not a leaf. A rock doesn't move wherever the wind blows. The rock is steady. The rock stays in the same spot. The leaf will blow whichever way the wind blows. Everybody comes in and say, hey, dog, we drinking, man. We drinking. We getting high, dog. We going to be lit. We sipping on some scissor tonight. Your son will be the one that says, nah, man, I'm okay. I'm going to the library. Now nah, I got to work on my business. Now nah, I'm over here. I'm going to go over here and hustle and grind and, and build an empire. Right? So, so ultimately what I'm saying is at the end of the day, I think we got to talk about this culture. Um, it bothers me that the impression of a black man is the image that's been mass promoted by people who are not black. And it's being promoted all over the world to the point where people around the globe don't respect you. They will literally tell their children. They'll tell their children, if you go to America, do not hang out with black people because a black man will get you pregnant and he'll abandon the baby. That's what people in other countries tell their daughters when they come to America and date African-American men. They see you as weak. They see you as, as undisciplined. They see you as uncommitted to yourselves, committed to family, anything like that. And I resent that because I know a lot of men who don't fit that category. But those men are not the ones that get promoted by mainstream media because they have no incentive to promote that. Their incentive is to promote the weak, vulnerable men that are going to make the Democratic Party look good because they're saving these poor, pathetic, little, little, little weak, weak guys who are, are perpetual victims. So stop that. We got to get away from that. So so I know that we were talking about the death of the sister, but I didn't want to make it just about talking about her death. I'm not here on any way to be critical of her. Um, you know, my heart goes out to her family and everything else. Uh, Gangsta Boo, very talented. Three Six Mafia, very talented. No disrespect at all. Uh, it's really more about you. And it's really more about talking about this culture and how much trauma, chaos, and economic loss that occurs that would have been prevented if we learned how to simply stand up and say, we're not, we're not going along with none of this nonsense. So um, that's my two cents. I'm trying to do my part. I hope that it's helpful to some of you. I appreciate those of you who are listening. Uh, and so before I go, do me a favor, please hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, if you have not done that yet. Uh, also, if you go to boycewatkins.com, there's actually a free training on how to form a family investment club. So if you'd like to learn that, you can feel free to go to my website. And also my new book is up there as well. It's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. And it's all about shifting the culture in your family so that you can get on code and extract the millions of dollars in potential wealth that does exist in your family. If you educate each other in the right way, if you work together in the right way, and if you form relationships in the right way and maintain a code of conduct, I'm teaching you how to be gang affiliated. So the same way Biggie had the 10 crack commandments, I got the 10 black commandments, right? That, that's, that's what we could call it because literally it's laid out in a way based on economic theory. Remember, that's my doctorate and it's in finance. So basically I took economic theory and said, how do we apply this to black families? I don't think many people really do this uh, because everybody's talking about everybody else except you. Well, I focus solely on you. This is all about you. This is all about my experience as a black man and also mixed with financial research to come up with a unified process, a very simple process that if families follow these steps and these, these specific instructions, you can put yourself in a position to develop generational wealth, power, and ultimately freedom and happiness uh, that, that, that you deserve. I don't believe 
black kids need to grow up poor. I don't believe black kids need to be traumatized. I don't believe the black kids are supposed to be ignorant. I don't believe that we're supposed to be a day late, a dollar short, and a million miles behind. I believe we can win, and it's applicable for anybody that wants to learn. So it's it's out there. It's on Amazon, or you can go to my website, voicewalkins.com. It's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. We're doing a tour in the spring. I'll let you guys know what cities that I'm coming to uh, in case you want to join us. We're going to do an in-depth day-long training on the topics in the book. This is what I'm dedicating this year to. So I hope that this uh, helps those of you that want to be successful in that area. All right, guys. So hit the thumbs up button, uh, share, subscribe on your way out. Uh, thank you again for pathwaysunited.org uh, for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, they can help you get grant funding from the Department of Energy. So feel free to go to pathwaysunited.org. Until we meet it again, God bless you guys. Have a good night and I'll see you soon. Take care now. Peace. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn into intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV.